we see him ascend into heaven and seat himself at the right hand of God. There he is still this very moment. And we see also in thy wonderful book that one of these days he will arise and set this world straight. Take his waiting, longing people out of this world. Restore Israel. And that will be for the whole world's life from the dead. We pray thee for our beloved sake. All those in the hospital. We would pray thee for Mrs. Renus Maid. Who is in for surgery. For Miss Grace Flickema who had a leg amputated. We pray thee for our brother Scotan, who is seriously ill in the hospital also. But thou spare, O God, sanctify the trials to the hearts of thy dear ones, and hear the prayers sent up for them. We pray thee for all those who are out of the way, all those who are still without a Savior, Bring them in, O God, of mercy and of might upon this day. Remember all thy servants and all thy struggling saints throughout the world. We ask it all in his wonderful name. And we now pray to you, God, grant that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart may be sweet and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our God, our rock and redeemer, our sun and shield at all times. Amen. Now, speaking on Israel's restoration, we speak on the most important theme that could concern this world. Modernistic theology has been very anxious to save the world. And who would not like to save the world? But the church cannot save the world. You preach the gospel of God's grace to hundreds, you may be very thankful if sin believe. I asked some years ago in the YMCA, in a gathering of evangelical preachers, Dr. Stanley Jones, how he would win the world. He said, we don't want a single soul, we want the world. Well, the answer was by legislation. But you cannot legislate this world into salvation. Ah, they do not know God's way. God's wonderful way is this, not by the church. Not by means of Christian activity. Not by means of politics. Not by means of mission. God bless them all. If they really hold forth Christ. But God's wonderful way, so emphasized over and over in the word of God, is by Israel. Just save the Jews. And that will, according to Romans 11, 15, be as light from the dead. Do you believe God? I take God at his word. I believe it with all my heart. 
That's why it is a certain important truth. And we want to take our time with it that it may, it may sip in well. Paul has some wonderful arguments. And a way we might be surprised that he does not come with more arguments, but you say, beloved, if you believe God's word and take God at his word, you don't need to come with many reasonings. That's what Paul did. He believed everything that God had said in the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, and everything God said in the historical books about Israel's future. He believed everything that God said in the Psalms about Israel's future. All that he had said in the prophets, he believed it all. Why should he add to God's argument? But his first argument is very remarkable. And he puts the question pertinently, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, he says. He shudders with holy horror, and he throws that very thought aside, throws it far away from him. Then he says, for I also am an Israelite. Now what kind of an argument is that now? God has not cast away his people, for I am an Israelite or Jew. Now, suppose that I should say, as God cast away the Holland people, God forbid, for I am also a Hollander. That wouldn't be any argument at all, wouldn't it? Or a brother Anderson should say, as God cast away the Swedish people, God forbid, for I am also a Swede. That would be no argument at all, would it? But why is it an argument with Paul? If we remember, beloved, what Paul was, in God's choice, if we remember how marvelously God saved him, you remember the story on the way to Damascus of God in the Hebrew language said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And there he was saved, gloriously saved. God revealed his son in him. Never, never for, did he forget that grand turn from into the Savior. Never did he forget that wonderful change that God had wrought in his heart. But Paul was a type of Israel's miraculous restoration and his salvation as such and the way God saved him he was a type of Israel's future restoration and salvation now he reasons this way if there is a type the antitype must be sure and just as Paul was opposed to Jesus so Israel today is opposed to Jesus. But when God breaks open the heaven, a nation will be born in one day. And just as Israel has been for centuries against a crucified Messiah, so they then will be for him. And fill the world with fruit, says Isaiah. 
That's why Paul said, I am an Israelite. He was born to earth, not too late. He was born as a harvest sheep that guarantees the harvest. He's born as a part of the whole. And therefore it becomes a most beautiful argument. Now let us go to the Old Testament once more, beloved. And we first of all go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. The seventh verse. At the end of that verse you find a prayer. Jeremiah 31, 7. I'm sure you all have your Bibles. Be sure to bring your Bibles along to church so as to follow it for yourself. Don't take the preacher for his word, but be Bereans to see if these things are so. Now, O Lord, that's the prayer. Save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Then, immediately in the next verse, Behold, that attention arresting word means Oh, look at it. Center your eye upon it. Focus all your mind upon it. Look at it. I will bring them from the north country, that's Russia, where there may be over five million Jews today. They cannot get up. But God says, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. That includes America. That Jews say in our big cities, why we don't care to go back to the Holy Land. They have it much better in America. But God is the boss. And he will say, I'll bring them also from the coast of the earth. And with them the blind. And the lame, the woman with child, and her that traveleth with child together. Now, if you apply that to the church, as some try to do, who are then the blind, who are the lame, and who are the women with child, and women and child labor, a great company shall return thither. They shall come with weeping. It's the weeping now of contrition. Once he wept over Jerusalem, and he said, Oh, would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen gathereth her chicks, but ye would not. But now is the time of Israel's weeping. They are so sorry that they rejected him, the glorious one they saved. And now love and adore. They come with supplication. So will I lead them, he says, I will cause them to walk by the rivers of the waters and the straightways. For then they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn. Now listen, he puts the interpretation upon it also. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations. Hear ye America. And declare it in the isles of far off. 
All missionaries must teach his glorious truth. And say, he that scattereth Israel will gather him. Now stop here for a moment. The scattering is real till this day. So he that scattereth Israel will gather him. The gathering will be just as real as the scattering. That's God's word. Now, look in the 20th verse of this chapter. Ephraim was the northern kingdom that built calves in Dan and Bethel and forsook Jerusalem. Now, listen what God says of that wicked northern kingdom. As Ephraim, my dear son, God acknowledges him as his son. Is he a pleasant child? For sins I speak against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. His inward heart, his heart, is troubled for that wayward son. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Now look at 28. And it shall come to pass that, like as I have watched over them to plug up, to break down, and throw down, and to destroy, and to afflict for over 2,000 years. Now listen. So, so, will I watch over them to build and to plant as the Lord. Now, how could it be more plain? God explains it himself. Just as I watched over them, so destroyed them, watched them up, scattered afflicted so, in that very manner, I will also watch over them to restore them. Now, look further at 32, chapter 32, the 42nd verse. I, uh, Jeremiah 42, uh, 32, the 42nd verse. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. In other words, his promises will be just as real and literal as his threat and his curse. Like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, Israel, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. There is no consistency at all, as Christendom has done altogether too much, to say that the curses were real. They can never deny that. But that the blessings will be entirely different, they will be spiritual. God says that's a lie. Like as I brought all this evil upon them, so 
will I bring all this good upon them. Now, let us look farther. To Ezekiel 34, the verses 12 and 13. Ezekiel 34, the verses 12 and 13. That's very beautiful. We only pick a few verses here and there. And I could give hundreds of more similar verses. I want you to know that I'm trying to show what I said, that there is more book of proof for Israel's restoration than for any other truth in the Bible. Now, in the twelfth verse, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep, that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep, and I will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark days. I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the country. I will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. Here God is speaking of Israel as a scattered flock. And he says in this connection also, My sheep are scattered upon all the mountains, and there is no one that seeketh after them. But I will arise, he says, and I will go after my sheep. I will gather them from all the mountains that is from all the kingdoms, and I will bring them upon the mountains of Israel. And then look at 36, the 24th to 35th verse. After he has spoken upon all the sin and curses that have come upon Israel, he says this, For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. There's the grand baptism upon Israel. And ye shall be clean. He said to us, leave behind the doctrine of baptism. But here is the real baptism from heaven. And it'll be a cleansing baptism from all your filthiness. From all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you also from all your uncleanness, I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. And so he goes on. He says in 32, Not for your sake do I this, saith the Lord God, be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I have cleansed, shall have cleansed you, 
from all your iniquity. I will also cause you to dwell in the cities and the waste shall be built, and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. Or even in 27, when I traveled through the Holy Land, it was a desolate land. It is just now through the return of Israel. They're heading for the two million now. It has become different. Just as God says, the first phase of Israel's restoration is a fact. No one can deny it. And the second, the spiritual phase, will also soon be a reality. And they, the future travelers, shall say this land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined city are become fans and inhabitants. Then you have that wonderful story of the bones in that great valley. And they upon the prophecy of the man of God, on God's command, rattled together, bone to bone, till they lay there as a skeleton. Then the flesh comes upon them, and all the filaments and sinews, and the skin, and the hair, and the nails, and it's the corpse. That's going on now. Israel has a little army, has already in the three years' history vanquished seven, eight nations. Because God is fighting for them. They are living in a grand and glorious day. That the final denouement, the development, the grand climax will come. Marvelous the things up there that never happened in all the history of 6,000 years before. Oh, that we may go to the prophetic word, that we may take heed thereto. It's a light that shineth in the dark place. And then the second phase that is not to be yet a reality, but that will become just as surely a reality as a first phase. God says to Ezekiel, prophesy against son of man. And he prophesies upon those thoughts. And then they stand up. And then the Lord puts his spirit in them. He baptizes them with the pure water from the throne of God and the very spirit of God. And he causes them to walk in his statutes forever and ever. What a glorious fact. Then he says, he explains it to again. He says, these bones, son of man, are not the church, although there are plenty dead bones in sometimes. He didn't say that. He said, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's his commentary. Why not take God's commentary? Then he tells the Son of Man, Ezekiel, now take two sticks in your hand, one in your right and one in your left. The sticks are also dead. Cut off. No root. He says, now put them in your hand as one stick. And the people have to see all of that. 
And if he said, why, what does that phony man do with those sticks? And the Lord explained them. These sticks, he says, are the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And they who were formerly irreconcilable couldn't get together again. They shall become one stick in the mighty hand of Jehovah Jesus. That's plain enough, isn't it? Now let us go just a little farther to Hosea 2, 19. Hosea 2, 19. Now listen to the great love of God. Mankind is always interested in love, but they do not seem to be interested in God's love for Israel. Look what he says in the second chapter, the 19th verse. I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee, speaking to Israel all the time, unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercy. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. Jesus, for he is man. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. What does he mean by that? They said he will set the whole constellation of heaven and earth, so all the laws of nature, and if you to his restored people, that there never will be a cyclone or tornado, never clover that cause flood and destruction, never any more droughts that cause famine. The whole realm of nature will be for the restored Israel in perfect order. Why are the destructive storms? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Because Joan is disobedient and running away from God. That's why. There came a tremendous storm when Jonah ran away. And so it is today. All the irregularities in the whole realm of nature is because Israel is out of the will of God. And let Israel come in the center of his will. The whole realm of nature will be gone. Never any more great raging elements. Never any famine. Never any cloudburst. Never any flood. Never any earthquake. Never anything of the kind. Now look at the next little chapter. Hosea 3. And my predecessor, Domini Flesh, son of a rabbi, gave on a evangelical meeting of preachers, proof for Israel's restoration, his own son-in-law said with boldness, without truth, God is true with Israel. He took these words, I shall never forget it. The only one that agreed with him was the youngest man present who stands here before you. The 
children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince. Many days. God was thinking of thousands of years, evidently. Without a king. Why? Because they've rejected the God-given king. But they have no prince of their own. So the kingly people have no king. Remarkable. Even today, as they are partially restored, they have no king. Just as God said. And the priestly people have no sacrifice. And they have no false sacrifice or images. They have no sacrifice. Why not? Because the only sacrifice that God acknowledges the one brought on Calvary is rejected by Israel. So there they sit. They sometimes kill a black or white rooster. But even when they have Passover, they have no lamb. They have few dried bones. They have no sacrifice, just as God says. So the kingly people have no king. The priestly people, for they were to be a kingdom of priests have no sacrifice. And the prophetic people, for the prophets were only sent to Israel, have no prophetic revelation here, denoted by they have no ephod. Ephod was the priestly vest in which were found the Urim and Tumim, through which God made known his will. They haven't got that today. Since Calvary, there has been no man of God in Israel. They've had great statesmen, great doctors, great scientists till this day more than ever before. But they have not one man of God among all the rabbis. Not one. That can say from heaven in the name of God Almighty, that is the will of God and that will happen. As Isaiah and the other prophets could do it. Now then, how true that has been fulfilled till our day is still going on before our eyes. No one can deny it. You can't laugh away facts. You can't sneer them away. You can't philosophize them away. Facts are stubborn things. You can never get rid of that. Now listen what God says. Afterward, after that long period that they were without a king and without a sacrifice and without a prophetic revelation, Shall the children of Israel return and the, shall seek Jehovah their God and David their king. And they shall fear the Lord and his goodness and the latter days. How plain, how plain. How stubborn and blind we must be if we do not see these simple facts of the word of God, beloved. And so we could go on, but our time again is up. And I want to close with just a word of admonition, and that is this. As the times are becoming daily more perilous, more bloody, more chaotic, more confusing, Oh, live by faith and know God's sweet, wonderful will. That is so good for yourself, beloved. 
The world may reel like a drunken man, as it is doing today, Parker. And the hearts of men may be filled with fear. And the hearts may be failing for fear all around. If we know God's prophetic word, we know his marvelous plan about Israel. Then we rest in his wonderful sweet word. And we remember what he said in the prophetic word of Isaiah 53, 10. That the whole plan, the whole pleasure of the Lord, and the nail-pierced hands of the Savior, and it prospers. Everything goes wrong and is done wrong today among the nations of the earth. As a backer says, they are laboring for the fire. For the fire of the great tribulation. But if you look by faith of the Lord Jesus Christ into the wonderful word of God, then you say, everything is resting in the nail-pierced hand of my friend Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Is he your friend? Is he your friend above all friends of earth? What matters it if men frown upon if men reject your name as evil and cast us out as evil, what does it matter? If we can say what a friend we have in Jesus, that wonderful Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. My dear friend, the friend here in the Berean Church building and in Radio Land, if you're still without a Savior, oh, come, plead to him just now. Beg him while he invites you to come to him. He will not cast you out. Come then, come and come just now and just as you are. Amen. Our Father, we thank thee for your wonderful word. We praise thee again, O God, that it shines as a light in a dark day in a dark place. Now follow it up in the hearts of these dear people, the hearts of all those who have listened in radio live. Bless the Bible school, the service this noon and tonight. Glorify thyself through every service here and everywhere. Amen.